Hello and welcome to Better Beings, a podcast bringing ideas for happier, more balanced and fulfilling lives. Better Beings brings together innovative and diverse thinkers to discuss the key challenges facing humanity from the worlds of business, creativity, spirituality and wider society. We believe that a more human approach will unlock the future we need. Kinder connection to ourselves and each other is the starting point. Better Beings is a home for diversity of thought and backgrounds and a safe space for authentic and challenging perspectives. Our guest today is Aidan Morrison, a leadership coach, Indigenous wisdom conduit and founder of Blueprint 180. To find out more about Aidan and Blueprint 180's work, please visit the show notes for further details. Everything else will come out in our conversation. I'm Joel Brevet, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Johnston. Hey, Aidan, great to see you. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Uh, very blessed to have your presence. And actually, for the first time, I think that we've got uh, three fathers here as well, haven't we? Yeah. And one of them, one of them, uh, should I announce this on the podcast? I think about it as well. One of them's going to be a dad again. So that's that's fun, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Congratulations, MJ. Uh, yes, yeah, we'll, we'll hear more about that in due course, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah. I believe you, Aidan, as well. You're a you're, you've got a young one, haven't you? Really young one. Yeah, we have uh, six months old. So the first, the first one, maybe the last one, maybe one. <laughs> many, who knows? We'll we'll see. Uh, yeah, he's been he's been great. He's been a delightful experience to be a part of so far. And um, so yeah, fatherhood treating you well, then, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was very ch- the first week and a half of his life he had a tongue tie so it was super challenging so we had to literally hold him all the time so my partner and I were going in shifts and I was holding him for an hour she would sleep at night or an hour and a half and then she would hold him and feed him he kind of needed feeding every 40 minutes because he wasn't able to drink very much milk and so kind of after that well in a way after that everything that has been a challenge has been quite easy because (laughs) <laughs> that was kind of like the apex challenge right at the start but even at that time I remember saying to my partner I was like you know how, how are you doing like is how, how are you feeling with the difficulty of this and she was like well it's nothing in compared in comparison to some of the stuff we went through in the jungle so I feel like I've been prepared for prepared for this um from Ooh. you know some of the experiences that we have with the indigenous folks so well, funny you should say that because I was intending on using that as a bit of a segue wondering whether or not uh the experience of fatherhood, not just on the, uh, in the on the physical sense, but I suppose philosophically and even lessons you've learned, like with the, the tongue tying, how you see those like, you know, applicable to our lives in general. And I suppose that little anecdote that you shared about recognising that in the challenges of preserving our these young lives, you see that actually some of these big challenges that we face uh, gives them some perspective, for want of a better word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I guess my response to that, well, I can tell you an interesting story actually, because when, uh, so I, I work with um, this tribe called the Hunicuin and they're from the middle of the rainforest in Brazil. And I run this resilience project, um, which is training people in corporate environments. And then half the money from that goes to fund food security projects in the villages. And that kind of partly came about through a trip quite a while ago 
um, to to Brazil to the forest to actually go and study with them and to go through this initiation process as well. So it already had like some quite tr- strong links with them. When we got there, the uh, the pages, so the the kind of leaders of the tribe, they said to us, right, we're gonna, and it sounds really bonkers to the Western mind. This sounds absolutely crazy, but I. You know, I've experienced their work and I believe what they say to be true. So we're going to look in your dreams and we're going to give each one of you what you need as a part of this kind of process we're going through. And um, partway through this initiation process, I remember looking at my partner and I was like, oh my goodness, I really, I'm not, I don't just feel ready to be a father, which I hadn't felt in my life up until that point. I'm also excited by the idea of, of doing it. And, uh, and so that was kind of an interesting experience there. And, and I think what I got from them, you know, they, they treat the foresters as uh, something that they don't own it where they, where they are. Um, they're guardians of it. They're caretakers of it. And for me, as a, as a father of a six-month-old, you know, I'm not here to teach him. I'm here to facilitate his understanding of the world around him. And, to, and actually, he doesn't, he doesn't want to be taught most of the time. I'm trying stick a spoon in his mouth (laughs) he really doesn't want to know about it but when he's figuring it out himself and getting food in his nose and in his eyes and in his hair (laughs) he's a lot happier so I like that I really like the idea of of guardianship and stewardship rather than you know control and authority let's see when he gets to be a teenager I might change my Yeah, that is a, I mean, a very, uh, like, you know, an, an interesting concept, which I really, I mean, there's a couple of things you said there that I would really like to explore a little further. And I'm sure some of our audience would be really interested in finding out just a little bit more about what looking into dreams entails and like how for you now as someone who, as you said, like wholeheartedly believes in that experience, like how that kind of like worked for you, like if you would be kind of like would care to share, but also just really wanted to just say that, yeah. The conversation around the difference between the ownership and the stewardship model, I think, is something that is going to be like a really interesting thing and a, and a really like I suppose part of this next sequence of time in all of our wider human experience and kind of how we start to mentally frame our position here on Earth. Yeah, well, as um, as uh, my friends and my teachers in the forest um, say, uh, we're not separate from nature. We're not divorced from it in any way we are a part of nature right and that's like that's a thought that seems from uh, you know i can't speak for indigenous people at all uh, i can only speak of my very very limited understanding of their worldviews from the people that i've encountered um, but there does seem to be a common thread of, of this idea that you know the web of life that we're a part of um, rather than you know the old version of dominion over you know we own all of nature and that's kind of crazy because we're part of an ecosystem and we've disrupted the ecosystem so much that it's going to disrupt us. You know, that's, that's the way it is. And, and we're going to need to reestablish our relationship. I think quite, quite quick. I hope, I hope we do. It does seem like there's some of this stuff is starting to gently penetrate, penetrate the mainstream and, and then maybe it will. Yeah. Certain shocks may be coming that will force us to really fundamentally rethink things. I was watching the latest Attenborough show um, about, the forests um, on BBC the other day, and they've been able to map the mycelial networks, which you guys will know about. Um, these are the fungal networks underneath the forests that link all of the roots together. And that visual display of the interconnected nature of things that we have, I think, are only just starting to understand, um, well, certainly the kind of in, in the West and the, the rational scientific, um, slightly 
well, narrower focus lens, if you like. Um, how do you see this wisdom sort of starting to penetrate into the business world or the or the West at the moment, Aidan? And, and how do, how do you uh, yeah do you think people are ready for it? Are people people starting to open up? Um, it's a very good question. So. Um... Well, and I can only speak from a fairly limited viewpoint, right? So I can talk about what I see works with people generally and, you know, leaders of people. And uh, and I think there's an interesting model, right? So culture falls down from the leadership, both kind of consciously in terms of like what we try and do from a culture and transformational point of view, but also unconsciously, right? Because we're constantly mirroring from literally from minutes after a baby's born, it's mirroring what it sees in its environment from its caregivers and and i've seen this with my son you know it's amazing watching watching those neural networks sort of start to form and so as a and i think this is something we probably don't really recognize enough yet but we are starting to when our leaders are in that kind of crash state you know i'm constricted i'm feeling restricted i'm, I'm kind of like a tightly ball wound ball that's in fight or flight which let's face fact a lot more leaders than they probably want people to know are. That's a kind of base. This is what I've seen with my work. That's a baseline of the human experience. We kind of, we're, if, we were, if we were in a game, it would be a game where fear is a big part of the operating mm-hmm. structure of the entire game. And so from a kind of leadership perspective, um, when the leader's in that state, if they're trying to get people to do stuff, really what they're transmitting a lot of the time is just more fear and and that has its own degree of chaos. But but also what I think is really interesting from a creativity point of view and from a strategic thinking point of view, if I'm working with somebody and they're in a kind of really stuck state, like they've got a massive challenge that they can't figure out, part of the work I'm doing with them initially is to help them change their actual state. So get them to a place where they're not in fight or flight, where they're feeling open, relax and 99.9% of the time suddenly the what were problems start to just turn into features of the way you know it's like that boulder that I couldn't get around oh actually I can go under it or I can just make myself bigger and leap over it or I can make myself really small and you know figure out another way through so from a you know so I think there's something really interesting really interesting dynamic when you see leaders that have got this stuff right they've embodied it they really understand it at a deep level and they've done their own kind of transformational work in whatever capacity then they start to lead their organizations in a very different way i've seen this on a small scale i haven't worked with big fortune 500 companies but i have seen data that indicates the same kind of thing you know and that can it can even as a starting place even be we start to adopt that leader as coach or leader as facilitator model rather than the old school you know top down power and uh, all that, all that kind of stuff, which, which, as we know, causes a huge amount of problems because they don't get the right information from the middle of the organisation, et cetera, et cetera. Because everyone's scared, you know. If we're if we're operating from a place of fear, our ability to think divergently, for example, our ability to think creatively, and let's face facts, we're going to need more and more of this, whether it's in businesses, whether it's in communities, or whether it's in society as a whole. I would say, you know, we're not out of the shocks. They're only going to keep on coming. But within that, if we've got the ability to creatively connect with ourselves and emotionally connect with ourselves and those around us, then we can solve problems. We can solve challenges. What do you say to, um, I mean, I guess people that I've worked with that we all know, um, I'd say that the old guard, if you like, and I really 
hesitate to be too sort of ageist or <laughs> rail against the the older white male leader because these are just people trying to trying their best too, um, as we all are. But how do we, given that time is of the essence when it comes to things like the climate emergency and indeed some of the social challenges that we face, which are sort of becoming increasingly acute, how do we bring or how would you start to engage with some people that this is perhaps just so far from their lived experience? You, you talk about your your baby, um, six-month-old, and the from such a young age, um, we are our neural networks are developing, evolving, receiving ideas and information. If you're talking to a, for argument's sake, 62-year-old white male CEO, particularly in the US, I don't want to hate on the US, I love love America and its dynamism and creativity and beauty, but how would you engage with it? So I'm going to call him out, Larry Fink, who, who seems well-intentioned, but has fallen foul of some of the... Um, for our guest, Mike, who is who, who is who is Larry Fink? Yeah, good question. I, sorry, I assume that people know who these people are. Uh, he's the CEO of BlackRock, who famously was pushing this more purposeful business agenda up until well, very recently, and then with pushback from, I guess the the death knell of the shareholder primacy um, and some sort of cultural div- divisiveness in America as well. Um, he's now really deprioritize this um how do we engage with the with those with those types well um the short answer would be i have no idea because i don't <laughs> person themselves but as a kind of macro view what do you want right that's all that's a fundamental question for me when i'm working with somebody what do you actually want and then then we're figuring out well what's stopping you from from getting there so so there's there's two challenges in a way there's the the challenge for the individual to get the things that they want or the things that they need um and then there's the challenge for the collective to um get the message across to those individuals that they need to be doing stuff differently because they're destabilizing the commons and that's the fundamental isn't it that's where that's where we're at right now uh, mm-hmm. what i've seen again and again is uh, and, and this is an unfortunate thing of the human condition people don't want to change very much until you've had enough shocks and enough ruptures to the system most people are like i don't care fundamentally i don't want to make i don't want to do the hard yards to make the change happen now the thing is the thing is the, the vast majority of people don't realize change is actually quite easy when you know the levers to pull just in our society, we haven't understood that very well. We're constantly looking at the content of what's happening rather than the structure of people's experience. So therefore, you know, and this is my experience, 20 years ago when I was trying to make change happen for myself, I went down so many dead ends and wasted so much money and so much time and so much effort. Um, but I do think, you know, this this kind of fundamental thing that I've seen again and again, which is, it's very hard to get somebody to change when you're telling them what they need to do. And it's very easy for them to change when they have the experience themselves of, Oh, okay. I've got this insight, right? The whole brain lights up when we have an insight. I've studied this deeply for for a long time, you know, Uh, those kind of aha moments light a whole nervous system up versus if I'm getting told to do something, this is, I think this is where a lot of culture change really falls down as well. There's a lot of well-meaning practitioners out there that are still dealing with their own stuff that are kind of going around with a big finger going, you must not do this. And it's like, you know, unless I think within our system, unless we recognize that 
almost all the actors in the system are actually less or more disenfranchised quite a lot. So the, you know, the white males that you were talking about, most of them are terrified. They're absolutely terrified. And then their behavior causes more terror in more people. Mm. And they wouldn't say that they're terrified. Nobody, you know, most of them wouldn't admit it. But if you get them to a deep enough place of connection, it's like, oh, actually, yeah, the little me inside me feels mm. really scared about losing my home potentially or losing my status or losing my partner or my children all that kind of stuff so Larry Fink I I really don't know but um what I have seen again and again is that um we seem to be in this time of incredible kind of disruption and um some of the indigenous people are saying and I you know again this is small pockets of information and how valid this really is and if it's if it's been translated through new age westerners as some of these you know indigenous wisdom words prophecies or what have you actually they were invented by a hippie with long hair from california because he thought it sounded good in the <laughs> 1970s but um there is a there is a thought and i believe it comes from the Kero tribe that talks about um this time of great human evolution that we are seemingly in right now and and some specific information about the glaciers in peru um the salkantai glacier i think it is when that starts to recede a lot that's the time of this kind of great flowering of human consciousness um when we go through periods of big disruption, everything starts to get really shaken up. And it seems like we're about to go through that in quite a number of different ways. Easy to say sitting in the global north as a white person, right? Uh, you know, it's disruption rather than destruction. So I appreciate the privilege that that, that kind of thought comes from. Um, yeah, it's a lot to a lot to kind of like, yeah, to, to, to think on. I suppose it just makes me wonder, how did you personally like find yourself in this work how did you find yourself like in the amazon basin good good question <laughs> I, I was invited to go there <laughs> um and at the, the time of the invitation every um every one of my cells in my body went yes and my partner next to me was going no fucking way <laughs> no way am I going to the jungle um there was all, I already had a sort of a, what was felt like quite a strong connection um, with the Hindi Quins uh, my dad had been quite ill and um Tue who's the chap that I actually sort of run this project with he's um like a, a young high priest of the I mean young he's sort of in his 30s mid 30s so he's not really that young um uh he he really helped my dad out he kind of helped my dad go from being ready to give it all up he'd had a kind of quintuple heart bypass really traumatic event before that about a year before where he broke his collarbone and ribs and punctured a lung and all this kind of stuff and he was like I'm kind of done I think and uh to it, bless his socks um gave him some incredibly strong tobacco medicine that I was kind of thought that might be the point where he might leave this mortal coil it was pretty scary. Um, but as a result of that, he uh, kind of came out came out, and said, oh, I've got this joy for life. I'm ready to go again. So um, so when the invitation came to kind of deepen the connection with them, uh, I was you know, basically all in straight away. Um, and then as it happened, he was there going through the same initiation process because he missed it when he was a kid. So that was kind of, for me, that was quite an, in that was a moment of like, I, I told him this whole story about what happened afterwards with, my dad and how um you know his his work had really helped my family and I wanted to help him in some way and I didn't know how but I kind of felt that you know my my trip to the forest was a was a part of something was going to come out of that and um and it, and it obviously it has it you know I, I felt as I went through this 
sort of initiation processes, ritual, we had a lot of time on our own in hammocks, which actually was super challenging in itself. It doesn't sound difficult lying in a hammock for a few days on your own, um, not talking to people, but it was, and everybody that did it that I was with went through similar kind of quite, quite deep, quite um, challenging stuff. But I kept on coming back to, oh, resilience is a really important thing. You know, it'd be good to start focusing on this. Fast forward quite a bit, we're in the pandemic and, you know, obviously it became a bit more of an interesting topic to people. Well, the three of us are all big talkers, aren't we? I think you'd struggle in a hammock without talking for three days, wouldn't you, JB? Uh, to be fair, I actually quite relish it. Like when I was living in Ibiza last year, I did actually have quite a few days where I could do up to 12 hours. Like, uh, So I think I would love to actually experience it a little bit more, which is, I suppose, why I'm really interested in finding out a little bit more about how you deepened that relationship uh like Aiden uh and again this is really good to hear as well that you, it was important to you to develop a reciprocal relationship uh with like you know the indigenous people of the of the forest and I just would like yeah like love to know a little bit more about like you know how the philosophies that they embody and like the knowledge base that you brought where that kind of like meeting point like like is and like how you've been able to develop your work from there mm. Uh, so <laughs> my knowledge compared, I, I feel like, um, uh, a small candle next to a, an enormous bonfire that's been burning for thousands and thousands of years in terms of <laughs> knowledge. Um, although, you know, within the Western world, within the stuff I do, I'm, I'm, I'm think I've got quite a lot of insight that other people don't have in my field. You know? Sure. So, um, uh, but really my, my process of going there, so we tend to be quite extractive when it comes to our in interactions with the indigenous people in the amazon it, with the best will in the world but there's lots of westerners that are going there to be healed right and that's okay because there's a lot of people that need the kind of healing that they do because it's, it's it is very powerful um but my thought was okay i want to go there and make it an exchange you know and so my, my thought was as i'm kind of preparing to go there how can i help you know i'm going to go to the forest and the forest is going to show me how i can help and and, and it really did it, it showed me in absolute detail um and what what can we do? And just little things on the, on the way. And I thought, okay, I'm going to buy a guitar in um, Peru and take it to Brazil. And and uh, and I gave it to the kind of chief and I said, look, you just give this to one of the young families that where the Page is going out into the cities and he's doing his work because they, they do a part of their work with with guitar. They they do some songs in the ceremonial work. And uh, and you just give it to whoever it needs to go to. And a couple of days later, we had. Um, one of the translators came over and they're like, oh, you need to meet um, this guy. He's, he's the person that you're giving the guitar to and, and he's going to have a present for you. You can't, you can't not accept the present. You have to take the present. Of course. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't want, you know, I don't, don't, I didn't bring it here as an exchange. I, you know, I brought it here as, as already I feel like I've received so much from your culture that I, I wanted to do something that I could figure that would, would be helpful to give back. So he came and he, he, he met me and he said, okay, uh, you know, my name is um, blah, blah, blah. I won't name him because he's not here and that's not fair. And, um, and I'm the leader of a village that's just a bit further up here. Um, so we have no musical instruments in our village. We have no running water at the moment. We have, um, uh, it's actually making me feel slightly emotional speaking about Yeah, and um, so this is the first. This is the first musical instrument we have. We're kind of we're basically very very poor. This means an awful lot to us. 
and uh and I, I was kind of like quite taken aback I was like okay right this is this is the formation of I'm gonna do I'm gonna step up in what I'm doing with these guys and uh <laughs> and he said and I'm gonna give you something I want to give you the um the outfit the gown uh they they call it a kuzma uh that I've worn for the last seven years whenever I'm doing any of my work any any of the kind of healing work that we do I was like no way. <laughs> That's it. No way I'm accepting that. You know, you're giving me basically a holy relic from your culture for something. And, and you know, we kind of went back and forth and, and the, the translators were just absolutely no way. You're not leaving with this um, without without this. So, hey, hey that's that's how it went down. But, um, and that was that was again that was kind of you know part of the uh, I'm being shown what I can do to help. Right? There's loads of villages that that need resources that don't have running water, for example, they don't even have wells. So things like child mortality is really high. I mean, it's been interesting over the pandemic, seeing lots of people in the wellness world talk about how, you know, bad the vaccines are and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I know people in the forest that, that think our medicines are amazing because they've got 50% more of their children living now as a result. So, you know, I think there's always a place of balance with some of this stuff. We probably over-medicate in our world and, uh, and I do go for the natural alternatives and uh, preventative medicine and all that kind of stuff but that was a real eye-opener for me to just you know the various different things I've talked about but especially hearing them say that thing about child mortality it was like wow okay yeah we we come from this stuff from a very different place in the global north of the west yeah that is such a, a, a an amazing I'm overusing this word amazing as well now <laughs> but it's such a I suppose like a, a, a poignant and again like do respect to yeah the how it brought you to a, such an emotional place even regaling the story i mean and for me also uh i just wonder then i suppose or to go back to what we were talking about earlier how some of these experiences you've ended up catalyzing them into the work that you then bring back into uh mm. i suppose these like western and kind of corporate spaces and how you in essence like yeah turn those very interpersonal anecdotes into methodologies that people can use to maybe operate better in the world. Mm, yeah, great. Um, good question. So uh, obviously there's a massive difference between what I'm doing when I'm doing a resilience training with a team of people in a professional services firm or, a, <laughs> you know, an X, Y, Z to the kind of stuff that, that they do. And I, I wouldn't make any claim to, to have any real understanding of the of the work that they do because it's it's so outside of my the more I know the less I understand in in, in a lot of respects. Um, but but one thing that does seem to you know there are some things that I noticed that parallel quite well to some of the views that I hold about how to get people from stuck to thriving effectively. And um, one of the things that I saw again and again is is their focus on building positive states even through times of great negativity right so like you know your village gets washed away and they have a saying it's so allegoria which means only joy now that's not being a pollyanna and it's also not wreck it's not the kind of good vibes only stuff that all the wellness people hate so much right um but it's recognizing and, and again you, you, from like the hypnotherapy training i've done which is multi multi-year very very deep study um there are things that you can do with somebody that when you get them into a positive state, so what we talked about before, when they're in a connected with their body, when they're connected with the things around them and not in that kind of disconnected, isolated crash state, then they're more resourceful. So this idea of like from their culture, you know, where you're pointing your consciousness, 
towards joy, towards good things, even in times of difficulty and hardship. Um, for me, that's like, okay, and the neuroscience kind of validates this stuff. Some things that I've read from a study point of view seem to agree as well. Um, so that was, that, was, that was definitely one of them. Second being their focus on ritual as well. And um, when I would translate that, you know, they have all these things that they do and they're doing it in a specific way. But actually for the average person working in an office that's feeling really stressed out and really overwhelmed all the time, building rituals into our day that help us to reconnect with ourselves, that help us to get back to that place of creativity, of good strategic thinking, of, of flow, of basically being in that, being able to use the tools, the techniques to get back into flow means that we're able to deal with the challenges that life brings us. You know, it's not our village washing away, but it can sometimes feel like that. Can you, can you give some, I guess, practical examples? I mean, I, I'm thinking people that are close to me, friends, loved ones, colleagues, former colleagues. So much of the system that they, we have developed for ourselves in the West, particularly the larger organisations, was so time poor, was so busy all the time. How do you... How do you build these things in and, and retain them um, in, in, in those environments when it's really hard? Like you've got, I don't know, an 8 a.m. Zoom and then rushing around into a evening work dinner or whatever else it is um, with no time to even go to the bathroom <laughs> oftentimes. Like how, how do we build these things in and how do we get them to stick so that, so that we well, can make that change? If somebody said that to me on a kind of one-to-one -one basis, my first question would be, what's stopping you from doing that? What's stopping you from making small, meaningful changes in your day? Is it, and this is what, like, do you need to make agreements with the people around you, with your bosses or your team? Do you need to make different agreements with yourself? Is there a belief structure that I'm, I, I need to, you know, and this is, this is, again, it's such a common thing. I need to always be on. I need to be the high performer. I need to be the person out front doing the do the whole time versus actually I can do a bit less and achieve a lot, lot more. Mm. And, and I think the, the presenteeism stroke uh, perfectionism that, we, that can really be quite damaging to a lot of people in the, in the working world doesn't always need to be there. You know, when, you, when, it's, mm. when I've broken this down and I've done this so many times with people, Usually it's an internal belief. There's an old emotional pattern that's running. There's stuff that's happening at a subconscious level that puts them into fight or flight. And then they maintain that adrenalized fight or flight state throughout their day. And, you know, saying, well, hey, why don't you just stick a few 15 minute breaks in your, in your, in your day and start to change things that way? Well, we all know we should do that, but why are we not doing it? And mm. for me, that's always where that's, that's where it's the inner game that, is the place where it's all won and lost rather than I need seven more tips to tell me how to do stuff. We're drowning in that shit. Mm. We're absolutely drowning in it and none of it works. Mm. It, primarily because it's focused in the wrong place. It's focused on like the information layer rather than the emotional layer. It's focused on the conscious mind rather than the subconscious mind. There's some really interesting research as well about how um, this goes, but I think it was done in the eighties or the nineties um, about how really most of the things that keep us a bit stuck, this is my paraphrasing, my kind of take on it, 
But it's really about the subconscious mind much more than the conscious mind. And it's very hard to get to solutions that are based in the subconscious. So that's all the stuff that we had when we were growing up. You know, our caregivers, the way teachers made us work at school, the way our first bosses were with us. That all kind of sits and pushed down below the conscious mind, but it's operating on us. So I use the idea of like a marionette. You know, that's a little bit how it is. We've got this stuff that's moving us around, but we don't really have that much agency. Or it feels mm. like we do. Mm. Um, the conscious mind is is quite a blunt tool for getting at that stuff. It doesn't work very well, but when people learn how they can talk to their subconscious, how to interact with it in a way that creates more kind of um, integration and and more wholeness within their within the world, then usually they start to empower themselves a lot. You know, more agency, more more ability to do things differently in their world, and the changes start to happen quite quite naturally. It's like, oh, actually, I don't need to do that stupid stuff of like being on the go. All day long, I'm going to take an hour lunch break. I'm going to have a new agreement with my boss that for me to do my best work, and the evidence is absolutely clear on this, I need to have breaks. I need to have downtime. I can't be on the go 12 hours a day because I'm going to get burnt out. I do a lot of work with people on burnout. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of this these days, as I say, is falling under the umbrella of self-care, which there are elements of this self-care conversation, which, I mean, even I am like... I mean, getting yourself an extra burger or eating donuts or some of these things that people, I'm like, I don't necessarily think these things are a self-care and it kind of like muddies the water of what this concept even is. But I suppose the question for you is, I can only imagine to be at a place where you're even able to explain some of these things to us that you have developed your own kind of self-care routines that enable you to maybe talk to your own subconscious. And I was just wondering if there is anything you could share with us from your own routines or your own kind of like yeah like practice that could be an, an easy step or a, or at least something for people to consider as a way into better understanding what self-care could be yeah yeah absolutely uh okay so again i'm i'm not a wellness practitioner i'm a coach mm-hmm. i help people get into high performance states and maintain them in a way that's like easy for them right so so um i'm not going to be suggesting go to gwyneth paltrow's website and buy a specific <laughs> candle or, or, or what have you um and and within all of that, there's lots of stuff that we can do ourselves that works. So the starting place, I would, if you know, when I'm doing this with groups, the first thing I say, what works for you individually? What helps you get out of stressed and into relaxed? Because it's going to be different for some. Some people, it is light a scented candle, have a nice bath. That doesn't. That's never worked for me. That just makes me lie in a bath, going, oh man, I've got to do all this stuff, and feeling really stressed out about this person that was speaking to me in this way on that meeting. Blah blah blah. Um, but knowing that we have this fight or flight response, right? That's the, the the precursor to stress. Stress is the kind of main thing that stops us from being open, connected, creative, in flow, et cetera, et cetera. And so then understanding, well, what are the things that enable me to, first of all, recognize I'm there? Because I think the biggest problem most people have is we don't recognize it fundamentally we're walking around our shoulders are tight or our bellies are tight or whatever muscles are tense or our head you know internally we're feeling just that sense of tension and we don't recognize I don't always recognize it in myself there's times my partner's gone hey you know slow down it's not a race (laughs) it's gonna get done anyway uh fortunately I've got stuff that I I do do so one of the things I've done since I was very small um is transcendental meditation so I've done that since about five it's a form of meditation. There's lots. Um, it's been reasonably well studied. Lots of the studies aren't 
as well designed as they could have been, but they have more recent ones that are pretty good. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's a way, but it's not the only way. I, I've also studied Qigong for quite a long time. And Qigong's a bit like Tai Chi. I got really told off by one of my teachers once of saying it's like Tai Chi, but but um, not as stiff-necked. And they said, that's real. Everybody that does touch it. You're right, you're right. It's basically waggling your hands around and like feeling good. And he said, that's even worse. Um, it wasn't one of my Qigong teachers. It was um, somebody I was doing hypnotherapy training with quite a while ago. Um, but Qigong actually um, can be very good for rebalancing the body. For um, it's Again, it's pretty well studied for its impacts on the immune system, um, on things like white blood cell count and what have you. Um, so it's it's a you know there's a good degree of evidence that it works for some of that stuff but also just things like so there's breathing practices you can do at the start of my resilience training i teach people some really basic things like changing your breathing patterns stuff you can do if you're going to walk into a courtroom yeah and you've got a judge you know is like pretty gnarly stuff you can do if you're a founder and you're going in for a really important raise or you're running an ad agency and you're going into a you know difficult client meeting okay well if you bring that sense of calmness and groundedness. We've all been there, right? We know what it's like when people bring that energy, we gravitate towards them. So if you're the, and um, there's a great expression from um, one of the martial arts from Aikido, and it basically translates as the person that has the lowest center of energy holds the space. Yeah. And that's quite an interesting concept. If I can ground myself, bring myself back to neutral, get myself feeling kind of open and connected then I can take people with me and that's fundamentally what we're trying to do in the business world a lot of the time isn't it we're trying to influence people in a positive way hopefully trying to get our message heard trying to get the point across so yeah the breath is I, I talk about these kind of two axes quite a lot um, one is the vertical axis so it's our connection with our body and the second is our horizontal axis which is our connection with community with different forms of resources with the people around us. And when they're not in a good place, we're in fight or flight. The mind, when it's cut off, uh, freaks out. Mm -hmm. Basically, that's the structure of, of part of it, is we're isolated and then we start freaking out and suddenly everything in the world is a danger or people are against us or we're trying to double think that situation versus when we're kind of in that flow state and the precursor to flow is just getting the nervous system calmed down, then okay, maybe it's not such a challenge. Maybe it's a part of the way. Maybe it's just a feature. So do you reckon, Aidan, then, that if we get more leaders, um, I guess it has to be leaders as, as well as others because they're the ones that ultimately set the tone um, and, and are the decision makers inside organisations. If we get more of them to be in the kind of space, place that you can get them to more often that the big, I'm going to keep, <laughs> keep hating on BlackRock. I don't hate on BlackRock. There's lots of great people there and they've genuinely taken a lead on some of this ESG stuff. But big global financial organizations in particular, big global energy companies, some of the ones that right now appear to be part of the problem, do you think they can be genuinely part of the solution if we have enough people in the right connected state if they want to be if they value the feet 
you know, it's, it's like people only want to do these things if they're experiencing some degree of personal pain or emotion, you know, when I say personal pain, I mean emotional to sort of the other context that we could experience pain, relational, etc., spiritual. Um, so I don't know. It's They're going to be hit sooner or later in their wallets, aren't they? That's, you know, that's, that's the place. I mean, I, 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 from the work that I've done with um, individual leaders, I've seen massive transformation happen by step one, people being able to get reconnected with themselves. Step two, dealing with the historical stuff that when triggered environmentally brings out this old belief structure, this old pattern, this stuff that turns us into the automaton rather than the kind of creative um, agency orientated person. And when I say agency, I don't mean an ad agency. I mean of my own agency. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if we had all of our leaders working in that way, if they understood how to think systemically and as themselves as a part of the system rather than at the top of an organisation, well, we know from an organisational point of view that that works pretty well. And, and, I mean, from a global point of view, why wouldn't it? The problem is you've got entrenched interests that really don't want to change that much, I think. that's. I mean, I, you know, that seems to be what I've understood as the the reasons for why we don't have more onshore wind farms in the uk for example just to pull out one 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 example but yeah you know what happens what happens to all of us what's it like those days when you wake up in the morning and you're not feeling super stressed out you're having a good day right and you feel good about feeling good that's already a kind of a meta state and feeling good about feeling good rather than feeling bad about feeling bad which is the structure of and we cause a lot of our kind of internal angst. Um, in those days, what can I do? I can I can usually achieve more. I can have more difficult conversations. I can connect with people in a more meaningful way. See, I was going to then yeah follow up with that to then ask like yeah what advice you would give to someone, business leader, friend, anybody I suppose really who's feeling stuck in a I suppose a space of being overwhelmed or I suppose what we've come to know is like yeah in a in an ego space. And mm. how we can, I suppose, use that Aikido idea of being more grounded and, yeah, I suppose, yeah, as you said, everything you're kind of saying is such kind of like knowledge bombs that I'm still trying to percolate and think about it in real time. But, uh, yeah, what advice would you give someone feeling stuck in ego, overwhelmed? Yeah. Um, so, well, <laughs> I'm, not in the, I'm, not, I'm not an advice giver, right? Yeah. I'm an instigator. My primary role is not to, I literally, I, I really resist. When I'm doing the trainings I do, of course, I'm sharing stuff. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to share concepts with people. So they, and I use little kind of metaphorical stories and all this kind of stuff to just try and embed principles and share these principles in a way that people get their own insights around that. Mm -hmm. um, to answer your question, though, uh, how how do we start to get reconnected or how do we how do we get ourselves out of that that crash state is that is that a good process yeah yeah definitely okay all right so um first of all is recognizing it right step one step two is knowing that you you've got the tools to actually be able to change that right because going okay i'm gonna have some donuts that momentarily gets me out but if we look at the drama triangle, for example, that's really the hero part of the drama triangle, which is Cartman's, the psychologist Cartman's work. And the hero bit isn't very helpful because it's only short-term change. So how do I 
flip that into something that works a bit better well if i can get control of my nervous system if i'm able to interact with my physical physical being in a different way and there's lots of different ways you you know one can one can do that i teach people lots of them but the, the breath is one um there's things that you can do there's four different nerve circuits that i teach people about um things like changing the way that we're looking but also sometimes just changing our posture when somebody's stressed out there's a physiology of kind of crap and stressed out and it's usually tension it's physical tension um versus if you look at a, a creative performer anywhere then there's no there's very little physical tension whether it's somebody doing japanese calligraphy or chinese calligraphy or whether it's a performer on stage somewhere or or uh, somebody singing an operetta or whatever it might be there's a distinct lack of muscular tension in in them and and understanding the different ways that we can start to kind of resolve that in ourselves and get ourselves back, for, for, for me, that's that's always the, the important bit. And that can be through the breath, through the nervous system, through what we do with our thoughts, um, you know, ways of interacting with our consciousness that get different and better results, through to just going for a run. Right? <laughs> how good do we? How good do we feel when we move our body a lot of the time? Okay, I've had loads of runs where I felt absolutely dreadful. And I thought I was going to die, but I'm still. <laughs> um, yoga, you know, there's there's different things work for different people. I know loads of people say oh, I can't meditate or what have you. It's like, well, how many times? How many types of meditation have you tried? Mm. I've tried Vipassana. It was really hard. It's like, yeah, it's pretty hard. <laughs> tried that Qigong one where they make you sit on the floor for hours just like Vipassana. Yeah, that's that's kind of tough. But there's other and for me i think you know get really curious or talk to somebody that understands this stuff and get them to show you the shortcuts to what can really work and treat it as a, and also treat it as a journey rather than a, des- a destination because you fall over every day right that's happens that's, that's just the nature of life there's always something that's coming that's going to challenge us and to be able to gently like relax into those challenges rather than try and you know, I think resilience, there's this great um, uh, robustness versus real resilience, right? Robustness is what we thought was resilience for a long time. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. fighting the bats, right? And that's very tiring because we're using all of our muscles and we're in that kind of fight or flight mode versus an Aikido practitioner who's harmonizing. Aikido means um, way of harmonizing energy. He's harmonizing the energy of the opponent the theoretical opponent and and just move moving on through and that fluidity and um you know the lack of muscular lock lack of fight or flight gives that kind of you know that performance an element of creativity um so yeah i would say find 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 what works and obviously you know i know a few things that work pretty well because i've spent a couple of decades now kind of looking into this mm-hmm. in greater and greater depth yeah, I think that what you said in there that really like resonated because it's something that was a turning point for me in even my own approach to life was that recognition that it's a journey, not a destination. And I think that sometimes schooling and sometimes like, you know, the education systems that we have here in the West is very much focused on the destination, like, you know, the, the job you're going to get, the, 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 the person you're going to marry, the, the house you're going to have. And it's like a, a place that you have to get to and everything I suppose then creates that that bubble of fear and that kind of treadmill uh, like mindset that I kind of have to reach there. But I think it was in the yeah. appreciation that actually in every single moment, even in having this conversation, this is one of the beautiful moments of life that we're able to just bask in, in its 
in its in and of itself. And I think, yeah, once I began to appreciate that, that every single moment is something to be grateful for, every single moment is a, a mini destination because there is no final one, I think was, uh, yeah. it relieved a lot of pressure. So I think, yeah, in what you said, that kind of was uh, something that, yeah, just really resonated with me. Uh, and so, yeah, thank you again. Gratitude is a really interesting thing as well, right? So I, I found this out, I think, last year. I've always kind of put gratitude in that kind of like, it's a slightly hippy-dippy, you know, the manifesting coaches in Bali. I lived in Bali for a while and there's, there's loads of them out there and none of them are very well trained from what I can see. Um, but I found out something really interesting about gratitude. Gratitude is a really good antidote to fear. It's so good that the US Marines use it when they're going into combat theater. So find something small, like the top of a pen, the end of my finger, that kind of that level of not very important in the grand scheme of things and start getting incredibly, incredibly grateful for it. And it actually resets the um, uh, the neural pathways in the brain. So instead of going into one specific circuitry that causes lockdown and fight or flight, it actually causes the brain to go somewhere else. Um, so you're still going to feel a degree of fear, but it's not into that like super fight or flight locked mode um so yeah gratitude's a an interesting thing i think yeah that, and more more powerful than we probably realize yeah it's definitely 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 really really served me well it's funny enough actually i it was a <laughs> it was an anecdote from the comedian cat williams and uh, i mean again not in any way uh, uh advocating uh, what he was joking about but he was talking about uh when uh consuming or smoking weed he said you could uh, be worried about the light bill or worried about your bills, and he goes, the moment you hit that spliff, he just goes, you know what, I had candles, I can't wait to burn them. <laughs> like, and all of a sudden, you're just like, those things that you thought of that were so important, you realise there are other things that I could actually be super grateful for. And sometimes you're right, it just takes like a, a mind switch to, to just recognise that we do live in abundance, maybe not all of us in uh, the financial abstract abundance that we've kind of come to see as, like, you know, the be all and end all, but ultimately back to the point you were making even about, like, you know, the the indigenous communities that you've like met and worked with in uh, the forests and others around the world that we have an abundance in the fact that we have life every single day that every single morning we're able to wake up and make decisions and move and move our bodies so uh, yeah gratitude has become a, a big factor in, in in my life and really good to have a conversation like this to kind of bring some of that back and give it a, a context that hopefully our listeners and others will be able to benefit from but yeah i think we're coming to the end of our time though uh, so mike uh I think you have some uh, some some specific questions for, for Aiden. You know, we always like to end our podcast, Aiden, and just to echo that incredible gratitude um, to spend time with you two um, today. It's been wonderful. Um, but yeah, we always like to end with three three questions for our listeners. And the first one is: What book would you recommend? Four Agreements, Don Miguel Ruth. Ooh, what, tell us what's that about. Uh, it's, uh, it's headline ancient Toltec wisdom, and it's just agreements to live your life by, and it's very easy to read quite deep in that you can read it again and again and get different layers of information. Um, so for, for me, that's a, that's just a nice intro into a sort of, you know, slightly different world of, of thinking. Uh, I'd also say there's a wonderful book called the relationship handbook. And, and actually it was really instrumental for myself and my partner takes the approach of like basically a lot of like talk therapy is just digging up 
the old mud again and again and isn't very solution focused and very positive outcome focused versus taking a more of a kind of coaching type approach going where do you want to go let's focus on the good stuff and let's encourage more of the good stuff and and as a result the not so good stuff starts to kind of fade away in the background a little bit so I say for any clients are ever going through any relationship stuff and also for people who aren't just as an enhancer um I, I think that's a that's a pretty good one as well great stuff I'm off on holiday next week so I might get at least one of those to take take away uh Don Miguel I quite like that too I might start calling myself Don Miguel um <laughs> Don Miguel at least <laughs> and what are you what are you listening to at the moment uh well good good question so I've been on um this project for a little while to I've got recordings of the forest and of some like quite special places and um I've also kind of made like I went to the middle of the forest in central Europe and hand hammered some singing bowls I'm also sound therapist I don't do it in my work very very much but um to make these recordings for some of the kind of hypnotherapy or change based stuff that um that I give to people that are you know part of the programs that I run um so I've been listening to kind of a lot of that stuff and putting it together in various combinations lots of music from the forest the Hinikuins um I have a load of stuff on Bandcamp that is quite special so that and uh my son laughing a lot my partner makes him laugh loads he doesn't find me very funny but he finds her absolutely hilarious and it's one of the best things in the world just hearing her make him laugh and then her laugh and that little cycle back and forth so. that's beautiful Cute. And then the very last one, as if we uh, as if we needed any more hope after this conversation, but what's giving you hope at the moment? Humans, human beings. If you consider that, you know, the little spark of life that's in each of us was once the same spark of life and over eons and eons, that spark of life has gone through so many different challenges. Like all of those ancestors that went through every trial, tribulation, all those like doors that they just got through, all of those cave doors that were closing shut, Indiana Jones style. And we're here having this conversation, right? The ingenuity, the amazing, like magical ability to get through the most difficult circumstances, stuff that we've not, we've not had anywhere close in our lives, right? And that happening so many different times to, you know, bring us to this place that we can sit here on Zoom, have a conversation about what we're having about. Um, so, I, you know, I, I kind of, I, I'm always, when I'm working with people, I'm trying to bring them back to like this understanding of like, we've got so much more capabilities in us. We've got so much more agency than we feel when we're a bit beaten down by whatever's going on. Just look, right? <laughs> the fact that we're here, you know, and that's not even getting into the miracle of existence. The fact that there's even anything here instead of nothing, whatever you believe about any of it, that fundamental part of, there is something here that we're all experiencing. So, yeah. We're going to have to call you back for another conversation to expand on some of that one. Sounds like an amazing uh, rabbit hole for us to all go down. Should also say that we're powered by StreamYard when we start commercialising rather than Zoom. StreamYard, big up. Oh, sorry. Yeah, StreamYard. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, I mean, thank you so much for inviting me here for this chat. It's been, it's been amazing. Obviously. Thank you. Yeah, no, it, it, it really, really has. I think as well, one of the things that people often also forget is there is so much that we can learn from others, but sometimes the prompt from others helps us learn from ourselves. And so again, thank you so much for helping me speak to myself even clearer in the message that you've shared mm. with us today. So thank you. And 
as my friends in the forest say, they say house house. That means that when something has been said that is of power or sacredness or, or you know, or something to be recognised, it's uh, to be recognised. So yeah, house to that, of course, because we are capable, right? We've, you know, and, and that's to see that in ourselves because we forget that so much of the time. It's easy to feel small and like it's too much of a challenge. What have you? We're all kind of a bit magic in a way, right? Mm-hmm. We're acorns, but we're also the whole forest. And especially when we're all together like this. So nice one. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, yeah. Thank you so much, Aidan. And thank you too, Mike. See you soon. Cheers, too. Bye, guys. Well, that was a really warming beginning to that conversation, especially with the context of our children and families. I mean, I find Aidan such a humble but captivating storyteller. And he really channels the learning so meaningfully and effectively. Yeah, I love the bit about us all being dads. I mean, that's that's where my emotion always comes out anytime you mention my son um, and son-to-be or any children for that matter. That's where I tend to cry and get emotional. Um, the bit the bit that I really loved with Aiden because he's a serious guy and talks with amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, captivation and knowledge, as he said, but like the bit where he got a bit emotional, I thought that was really cool because it just showed quite how profound his connection with indigenous tribes really is, or this specific tribe is. Yeah, and something that actually brought up for me though, is actually even around that word, or maybe the idea of indigenous and indigenous peoples. It made me think, what are we sat here in Western culture? Are we admitting that we aren't at home? that we aren't where we belong, that we're disrupted and discombobulated. Are we products, not produce? Well, I mean, I, th- I mean, that is the the profound question, pretty much. Um, I don't think we've admitted it yet, mostly, but one of the great things about the indigenous wisdom that comes from the tribe that Aidan spent time with and indigenous cultures all around the world that were often wiped out and colonized <laughs> by some of my ancestors, I'm sure, um, they they hold the key to that relationship with nature. They had got the balance much better in lots of ways, and I think that's that's one of the key things that we maybe are starting to realise here. Yeah, I think it was also worth noting that I think the majority of our guests so far, regardless of background or their current work, are meditators. It's really feeling like a consistent theme in the the bettering of being which really actually makes sense that self-awareness in its most literal sense is a starting point for being overdoing. Totally, and I mean, just final thought on that. One of the things Hayden also said was that people really gravitate to you if you are calm and they gravitate towards that grounded energy. So mm-hmm. the more we can, more, the more we can all be grounded, the more we can all be connected to our inner, to our being, um, the more we can all connect. Amen, brother. Thank you for listening to this episode of Better Beings. We are an independently produced show and your support is what helps us develop and grow. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with friends, family and colleagues and consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to our technical producer, Elliot Fisher, and to our researcher and guest-facing producer, Tara Rudd. Please follow us at Better Beings Pod on both Instagram and Twitter for quotes, updates and guest insights and subscribe and follow on YouTube, Spotify or Apple Podcasts and never miss an episode. Thank you so much for being with us. 
and see you on the next episode.